It's Friday, September 27th. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, Egypt's famous Tahrir Square is on lockdown as the government moves to block a second week of protests. We'll break down what's at stake here. Then, it's been a busy news week. And one event that kind of got the short stick? Only the biggest world leader meeting of the year. So, we skimmed it for you. And finally, how Prince Harry is carrying on the legacy of his mother, Princess Diana, in Southern Africa. We're here to make your evening smarter. Let's skim this. Today's episode is brought to you by Noom. The most complicated story today is about a whistleblower. No, it's not the one you're thinking about. We're talking about one on the other side of the world, who's now getting people in Egypt to hit the streets in protest. So today we're going to get into why people in Egypt are protesting, why there's been a crackdown on demonstrations, and what's at stake for the Egyptian people. Let's get into it, starting with the reason for the season. A protest, that is. It all started with a guy named Muhammad Ali, who wanted to put up a fight. Not the famous boxer. This Muhammad Ali was a government building contractor in Egypt for several years, before he recently exiled himself to Spain. Earlier this month, he started posting videos online accusing Egypt's president and top generals of corruption. See, Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi took office five years ago. Like, almost literally took it. We'll get to that later. And last year, he was re-elected with 97% of the vote. That's where the whistleblower comes in. Ali says that during El-Sisi's time in office, the president used tens of millions of dollars in taxpayer money to build villas, hotels, and palaces. As a contractor, Ali says he helped build some of those villas. El-Sisi denies the allegations. But millions of people have been tuning in to watch Ali's videos anyway. And last week, Ali called on people to take to the streets. And thousands did, in a bunch of different cities. They chanted, leave CC and rise up, fear not, CC must go. Huge protests and lots of arrests. By one count, about 2,000 people have been arrested since then, including journalists. It's the biggest security crackdown since El Sisi rose to power. You might be thinking, this reaction feels extreme. But there's a history here that explains why police crack down on these protests. It's because of a little thing called the Arab Spring, which wasn't so little. You probably remember hearing about the mass anti-government protests in 2011 that spread throughout the Middle East and North Africa. Some of the biggest protests were in Egypt, where people rallied against corruption, poverty, and the country's leader at the time, Hosni Mubarak. He stepped down and was later convicted of ordering that protesters be killed. In 2012, a man named Mohamed Morsi became the country's first democratically elected president. A little more than a year after he was sworn in, Morsi was ousted in a military coup that was led by his own defense minister, Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. Here's el-Sisi speaking through a translator the day that happened. Steer away from violence, which will bring about further tension and shedding the blood of the innocent. But there were more protests and there was more violence. More than 1,000 people died during protests that summer, and a bunch more were arrested. So, in November 2013, the country banned all unauthorized protests. Then, in the summer of 2014, el-Sisi was officially elected Egypt's president. And even though he was recently re-elected by practically all of the voters in Egypt, 
Critics say those results were predetermined by the government and that opposition has been silenced. Plus, turnout was pretty low. Muhammad Ali's videos and the response to them show that not everyone is pleased with al-Sisi's authoritarian ways, especially as economic policies in the country have left about a third of Egyptians in poverty, which leads us to what's happening today, the second day of planned protests. And there's a lot at stake. After Egypt's two previous presidents were ousted from office, the New York Times reports that some Egyptians are wary of even more turmoil. And now the government is going after those who are protesting. The government says protesters are being persuaded by Islamists, and Egypt's president has accused Muhammad Ali of slander. Some Egyptians are saying that they've been stopped and searched by police several times this week already. And the iconic site of Egypt's huge Arab Spring protests in 2011, Tahrir Square, is on lockdown. So these protests have a lot of Egyptians on edge. Some reportedly don't want to go back to the constant protests of the Arab Spring and they're nervous about going against the protest ban. But without free speech or clear democracy, some people are willing to risk a lot and turn up in force. So what's the skim? Today, Egypt's government came out in full force to prevent a second day of mass protests. Despite their efforts, some protests did reportedly break out across the country. Supporters of el-Sisi also took to the streets and greeted him at the airport where he'd just flown in from the United Nations General Assembly in New York. Earlier this week, he met with President Trump. Trump played down the reports of demonstrations and told el-Sisi he's doing a great job. Egypt has a great leader. He's highly respected. He's brought order. Before he was here, there was very little order. There was chaos. But not everyone in the U.S. agrees. Today, the top Democrat and top Republican of the House Foreign Affairs Committee called on Egypt to release peaceful protesters who've been arrested and allow Egyptians the right to protest. Speaking of the UN, there's a lot more that went down at this week's big reunion in New York. More on that after the break. Looking to live smarter? Enter Noom. Based in psychology, Noom teaches you why you do the things you do and arms you with the tools to break unhealthy habits and replace them with healthy ones. Noom can help you keep up with your busy life, be more in tune with your body's needs, and practice better self-care. Sign up for your trial today at noomnoom.com forward slash skim this. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com forward slash skim this to start your trial today. That's noom.com forward slash skim this. Let's face it, the UN General Assembly got really upstaged this week. There's even a meme UN journalists are sharing. It's the one with the guy walking with his girlfriend, but then he turns around to look at another woman, and his girlfriend isn't having it. So in this meme, the guy is the media, the woman walking past is all the whistleblower drama in DC, and the girlfriend stands for all those UN diplomats who only get this one week a year to shine. But we're here for you, UN. So let's recap a few things that got drowned out. Starting with Iran. After President Trump warned of Iran's, quote, menacing behavior earlier this week, Israel and Saudi Arabia also piled on, asking countries to put more pressure on Iran. But others, like French President Emmanuel Macron, really disagreed. He spent time in New York to try and convince Iranian President Hassan Rouhani to meet with Trump in person. Macron and UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson literally confronted Rouhani in a UN hallway, 
and told him to not throw away his shot. But in the end, they couldn't make it happen. So, by most accounts, the fate of the quickly unraveling Iran nuclear deal isn't any clearer even after these UN meetings. Another big topic at the UN this week? Fake news. But not for the reasons you might think. On Thursday, 20 countries including Canada, France, and the UK signed an agreement to promote access to independent reporting online. They also agreed to push internet providers to do more to promote reliable content to help end the quote information chaos currently playing out on the internet. Sounds refreshing. And before we close the book on the UN General Assembly, speeches, speeches, and more speeches. We've skimmed them for you. Here are the highlights. The president of Sierra Leone, Julius Mata Bio, argued for UN reform. He said African countries should get veto power and permanent UN Security Council seats, powers currently reserved for the US, Russia, China, France, and the UK. It is time that we addressed these long-standing injustice and imbalance perpetrated by the present configuration of the Security Council without any further delay. Naib Bukele, the president of El Salvador, suggested the UN host its big events via video chat to include more people and keep up with the times. He also snapped a selfie during his speech to make the point. Believe me, many more people will see that selfie once I share it than will listen to this speech. And I hope that I took a good one. And we're still trying to figure out what UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson was talking about in his speech. AI, what will it mean? Helpful robots washing and caring for an aging population or pink-eyed terminators sent back from the future to cull the human race? What will synthetic biology stand for? Restoring our livers and our eyes with miracle regeneration of the tissues like some fantastic hangover cure? Or will it bring terrifying limbless chickens to our tables? We don't know how to top that, so we won't even try. Cheers to you, UN. Keep being you. And see you next year. The Trump administration just announced a major change to the country's refugee resettlement policy. For decades, refugees from around the world have fled to the U.S. to escape violence and religious persecution. In 1980, the U.S. changed its laws to help refugees find new homes and allowed more into the country. Now, the Trump administration says it's lowering the number of refugees allowed to resettle in the U.S. In President Obama's final full year as president, his administration set the refugee cap at 85,000. When Trump took office, he cut that to 50,000, then to 45,000, then to 30,000, and now it's 18,000 the lowest threshold since the laws changed 40 years ago. The other big change? The Trump administration now says states and towns will have the authority to block refugees from being relocated to their communities. The White House says this will, quote, ensure refugees are placed in an environment in which they will have the greatest opportunities to thrive. But critics say this is about giving local leaders the chance to enact their own refugee bans community by community. Congress usually gets consulted here. But Trump has the final call, so this policy's likely to go into effect on Tuesday.
Before we go today, we want to give you an update on the royal trip to Southern Africa. You might remember the iconic photos from 1997 of Princess Diana walking through a cleared route of an active minefield as part of a visit with the Halo Trust. That's an organization that's worked to clear nearly 100,000 landmines in Angola, which were put there during the country's nearly three decades long civil war. Today, 22 years later, Prince Harry walked that same path, which is now a thriving community. But landmines are still a concern in Angola. And today, Prince Harry applauded the work of those on the ground still working to demine the land. I think as much as, she, as much as she did then, there is still so much to do. But without question, if she hadn't have campaigned the way that she did 22 years ago, this, would, this could arguably still be a minefield. For more on the Halo Trust and how you can support, visit halotrust.org. And that's all for Skim This. Thank you so much for listening this week, and we'd love for you to rate and review us online. A lot of news happens over the weekend, so to catch up first thing on Monday, sign up for our morning newsletter, The Daily Skim, at theskim.com. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox. 